Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is... Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you will find in your Bible. So if you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, you can use the table of contents or you can turn to the middle and go a little bit to the New Testament and you will likely find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. It is one of the books of wisdom from the Bible. And as I prayed a second ago, Proverbs chapter 1, another book of wisdom, tells us that those who listen to wisdom will dwell securely, will be at ease, and will not dread disaster. Now, I've never preached through a book of wisdom. I've done devotionals through the book of Proverbs before, so I'm stepping in new territory for myself to preach through a book of wisdom. And as you can imagine, if you heard those first 12 or so verses of Ecclesiastes, this can be a very difficult thing to walk through and ask, what is the Lord telling us in Ecclesiastes, in any book of wisdom, much less Ecclesiastes? And so, as far as genre goes, the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. It's meant to teach us how to walk faithfully in a world that God created, a world that God has called very good and created very good, but also how to walk in wisdom because We see this so clearly, perhaps than ever before, that as we walk in God's good created world, we realize that something has terribly gone wrong in this world, and because of sin, shalom, peace, the very fabric of life has come unraveled. And so we grapple at times of how do we walk with wisdom? How do we walk securely? How can we live at ease and not dread disaster? Well, books of wisdom help us towards that ends. And particularly, we'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And maybe one question you're asking right out of the gate, why this strange name? Well, it simply comes from that word preacher. Transliterated into English, the Hebrew word behind preacher, we come up with the book of Ecclesiastes. And so that's where that name comes from. I love the quote that I read by Herman Melville, the novelist, where he called Ecclesiastes the truest of books. That was a man who went through much tragedy in his life, and so when he saw the, 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 the message of Ecclesiastes, he's recognized it as the truest of all books. Ecclesiastes is going to confront us with a lot of difficult questions. Perhaps one of the big questions that we will see this morning is a question maybe simply like this, why bother? Did you hear those first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes? The sun just goes round and round. The wind goes round and round. Generations come and generations die. And generations from now, nobody's going to remember who Jared Muller is. Nobody's going to remember who other people are. You will just come and go and die. All is vanity, so why bother? Before you check out on me, I will give you the end of this at the sermon so we don't leave here completely overwhelmed and depressed from this first chapter. When we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, Job is also part of the wisdom literature. We see that Job was one who lost everything and was searching for wisdom as he lost everything. And here in the book of Ecclesiastes, we read about the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem who had everything, 
And yet, though he has everything, the conclusion that he has come to is all is vanity and all is toilsome under the sun. And so let me give you a thesis of this whole series as we try to, hence the title, refocus our lives as people who have gone through wearisome time, toilsome times, times where perhaps you have been caused to ask the question, why am I bothering? Why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Perhaps this message, this series will give us a second and give us some weeks to refocus our lives, to ask the Lord, why do we keep going? Why do we keep doing what we do? Ecclesiastes, here's, let me give you kind of a thesis here. Ecclesiastes teaches how God's people who are pilgrims living in this world under the sun, in this present age under the sun, but also citizens of heaven should, uh, should live amid the profound frustrations and tensions of this present evil age. So that, in a nutshell, is how do we live as kingdom citizens in a fallen world? How do we live wisely in a world that is filled with wearisomeness and toilsomeness? How do we live? So let's look at the first 11 or 12 verses of this book this morning. The first thing I want you to realize about this preacher, who I believe is Solomon. Some people these days disagree, but either way, um, that's who I believe this is talking about. Here are some things that he has discovered. So the first thing that I want you to see this morning is this sobering discovery. Because this is going to be a theme throughout this book. And so he brings it out the very second verse of this book. Look at it again with me. Here's the sobering discovery that the preacher has made. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, With this sobering discovery, this one who had everything, all the wisdom, all the riches, anything this world could offer, he enjoyed it, yet he comes perhaps to the end of his life and says all is vanity. Now, before we write off this preacher as a cynic, we need to understand what he is after. This idea of vanity is not saying necessarily that everything is just meaningful, meaningless, meaning everything means nothing. We're not going Ernest Hemingway here where he believes all is nada, there's no meaning to anything, so you just got to kind of muddle through, find a clean, well-lighted room. If anybody ever read that book in literature in high school, am I the only one, Hemingway, a clean... Hey, we got one person back there. All right. Um, that, that the only way we can deal with life is just to find some sort of routine, find a clean, well-lighted place, and just kind of deal with it and make it through somehow. Before we think that the preacher is that, we have to understand what vanity is. What, what, what the Bible is talking about here, and he's going to talk about this some 38 times in this book. He's going to talk about the vanity of vanities or mention vanity in some way. The word behind vanity here is breath or, or vapor. What he's getting after is all is fleeting. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, brings this up in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, what is your life? Your life is but a vapor. Your life is fleeting. And so what the preacher is telling us, what the Lord is telling us, is that, that, that everything is fleeting. Everything is a vapor. Life is fleeting. Life is an enigma. Life is hard to get our hands around. And by the time we get our hands around it and think we begin to understand it, it seems to slip away from us. 
And so we're asking the question, he's saying, what is my life? Even though I have enjoyed the prosperity of everything that I've enjoyed, what I have discovered, if you want to be wise, dwell securely, be at ease, and not dread disaster, we need to heed this warning from the Scripture that life is fleeting. So the sobering discovery that he has made in his life is that life is short And it can be very elusive. Pleasure and fullness are very hard to come by. And notice what this writer has has been through in his life. That he's experienced everything. And he's realized that money doesn't fill him up. That all of these pleasures that he's experienced. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, give me $10 billion and I'll tell you if this is really going to fill me up or not. You've probably thought that before, but he is saying the opposite of Job who had nothing and said, trust me, if you have the Lord, you have everything. He's coming to us this morning. I've discovered even though I have everything, life is short and elusive. And if I can figure out that one thing of what life is about, then I will find satisfaction. I will dwell securely, be at ease and not dread disaster. So here's opening verse. Theme throughout it, we see vanities mentioned some 38 times in this book, is that he has discovered the sobering discovery, and you've likely discovered that already, that life is short, it is fleeting, and life can be very elusive. And so he continues to building that. He makes this sobering discovery, and then he asks this honest question. Look at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. And so then he asks the question, what has man gained? We hear this in the words of our Christ himself, right? What is it if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? He's asking that first part of the question just as Christ asks, what is it if you gain the whole world? What is there to be gained under the sun? And that's another key phrase that you see throughout this book, this idea of being under the sun. So, so what is this writer after? What is there to gain under the sun, in quotes, means this present age. In this life, in this broken and fallen world that is toilsome, do you see it in verse 3? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils in this present age? And he asks the question with this reality, even reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3, and you know this, that work is toilsome. Life is toilsome. Life is wearisome. And so he's asking, what are we gaining by all of this hard work that we're doing? All of these frustrations that we walk through, what are we gaining? This is the curse of the fall, and that's why we begin to understand that life under the sun is life in a world that is marred and broken by the fall. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3? Part of the curse as the curse came down to humanity was not work for man in Genesis chapter 2 cultivated and kept the garden long before sin entered the world. So work is not the curse, by the way. Toilsomeness is the curse. The frustration of work is part of the curse. The wearisomeness of it. And so the, 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 the writer is asking us with this very honest question, 
Why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Why, why am I going to show up to work Monday morning? I know it's going to be frustrating. Why do I continue to tell the kids to do this, that, or the other? It's just toilsome and frustrating. Have you asked that honest question before? What am I gaining by all this? What's in it for me? Where is all of this leading? We're getting a picture A wise picture that will help us dwell securely, be at ease, and not dread disaster, Proverbs chapter 1. We're getting a picture of a life in a world marred and broken by sin. When sin entered the world, I'm summing up what I've said so far, shalom, the fabric of life, unraveled. And now the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that creation groans for redemption. And that even you and I as, as people, we groan for Redemption, regrown for things to be made right, we long for peace, shalom, the fabric of society, the fabric of our lives to once again return. And so he's asking this honest question. What does man gain by all of the toil at which he toils under the sun? Perhaps, let me give you a glimmer of light, perhaps under the sun is not all there is. Perhaps there's a better way. Perhaps there's a way for this world to be redeemed. Perhaps there's a way for for us to be redeemed. Perhaps there is a better way. But as it is, if we are just looking at life in this present evil age, if we are just looking at catastrophes, if we're just looking at viruses, if we're just looking at the particular struggles that we go through, we will be tempted to ask this question, why am I toiling? Why am I bothering? What is there to gain? And he keeps going. He keeps going. So he asks this, he makes this, this sobering reality. All is fleeting. Life is elusive. He asks this honest question What gain is there by all of the toil under the sun? And then he makes this observation that life just seems to be on repeat. Have you felt like that before? I've mopped my kitchen floor seven times this week. That's probably, the, that's probably the honest truth. I'm probably not overestimating that right now. Every time you do, you just have to do it over and over and over again. Tomorrow morning, you'll wake up. You'll probably do just about the same thing. You've done the same Monday morning for a lot of days of your life. It may look, maybe you have a different job. Maybe you've retired or something like that. But, but either way, you wake up. You go through the routine one after another. You make it through the week. You're looking for the next thing. Life just seems to be on repeat. And the preacher says, all of creation is like that. Listen to what he says. So life on repeat. He spends a few more verses talking about that. Look at verse 4 through 7. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. (laughs) I'm going to give you some good news here at the end, but that's pretty sobering, right? We have kids, they have kids, and the earth remains the same, and we just keep perpetuating generations, and three or four generations, they might not know your name anymore. It's just life on repeat, 
But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind on its circus, circuits. <laughs> Feels like a circus. The wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. They dump water, pick water, put water down. Water keeps flowing around and around and around to the place where the streams flow. And there they flow again. So he's saying, what do you see in all of creation? You see life on repeat. That life is going through these cycles. And even in humanity, we see ourselves going through cycles. And so, so, so we, I start to ask the question when I'm going through, are, are the cycles bad? Is my calling in life to break this cycle and get out of routine? I had a conversation this week when we were talking about uh, church and some of the plans we have and all the stop, start, stop, start. Uh, one individual said, I wish we just had a routine that wasn't constantly broken. And it was at that moment I realized, oh, that's part of what Ecclesiastes is after. That's why kids are trying to get back in school so quick so they can get back to that routine, back to normalcy. Because that normalcy, that routine, that's part of nature. It's part of how God has created us. And so that's a good thing. But we spend so much of our lives, how can I cope with the repetitive, repetitive nature of life when life is on repeat? So we're trying to cope. We cope in all sorts of ways. It could be anything from entertainment, the substance, or whatever it might be. Just trying to live for the weekend, to break the cycle, to remove myself from reality. Maybe it's vacation after vacation. You're saying, preacher, you're saying don't take vacations. I'm not saying don't take vacations. Part of that cycle is to rest, so you need to rest. Yes, but what the Bible is after is, is he's asking us that we need to get out of these routines, or is God trying to tell us something in this? Is he's trying to tell us there's another way, there's a better way? Is God trying to meet us in the ordinary nature of life, the repetition of life, and change our lives in the ordinary? We try to avoid the reality of cycles. We try to play pretend and break out of that. But what the preacher is saying, all of nature is on a cycle. And we'll continue to be on this cycle season after season, turning, 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 turning. If we live our lives trying to break out of the monotony, and that's all we're after, then we're going to miss it. This last 18 months has absolutely devastated our routines, right? They're all different. I just remember this week how long it's been since I picked my laptop up and gone to do sermon work in a coffee shop. I used to love to do that. That's where I tended to, 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 to put sermons together the best. But after COVID, I just realized all of my habits, everything has been broken. All the predictability that we long for seems to have gone away. So how do we deal with this? I even think about this as he's talking about nature. I think about this, I feel like every Super Bowl Monday. Everything's real big. Everything's exciting. We just won the Super Bowl. Guess what? The next season just started. And now you're no longer, you're the reigning Super Bowl champions, but now you got to do it all over again. Have you ever thought about that before? That's one after another. I'll think about that in about two hours that, yeah, you just stepped out of the pulpit, but guess what? Sunday's coming again. There's another sermon to preach because there's another Sunday coming. And so we find all of these ways to try to cope and deal. And the preacher is saying, the word of God is saying, that's part of nature. How do you deal? So that's the question. How do you deal with the redundancy of life? Substance, escape, pleasure, relationships, even religion. 
Are we merely trying to cope? Are we looking for the meaning and the beauty in the ordinary repetitions of life? Because life happens fast. It's fleeting. It comes after you so quickly. It's hard to get a handle. I was thinking about this this week when I was thinking about how life can kind of get away from us if we're just trying to break away from the routines and whatever else. I was thinking about a time when, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old or something like that, maybe a little older than that. I went to um, the DuPont property in Laplace. My grandpa used to work for DuPont, so there were some big open pastures where we'd go riding horses in. And I remember one time I'm on one of those horses, and he is just taking off, and I'm pulling the reins as tight as I can, and I can't figure out why this horse won't stop. And I'm also thinking, he was letting me do this when I was like 10 years old. What were we thinking? This could not have been safe. And so I'm riding this horse by myself, just hauling through this pasture, can't figure out. And the reason is the horse is galloping. My legs are short and pretend my hands are my feet. As I'm galloping, we are running down straight through this pasture. And what are my feet are doing? Because they can barely reach the stirrups. I can't keep them tight. They're running and they're hitting. And if you're kicking a horse, guess what the horse is doing? It's running faster. And the more you go, the more you gal, the more you run. I'm kicking the horse harder and harder and harder. I'm pulling harder. And that thing's just going. It will not stop. It feels like that having three kids sometimes, doesn't it? It just won't stop. You're pulling stop, stop, stop. And maybe as you get older in life, I just wish it would stop and slow down. But it just doesn't seem to stop. It's tiresome. It's overwhelming. And you're scared you're going to miss it. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, don't miss it. Don't miss this wisdom. You're going to miss life. What God has called you to do. Don't spend your life just trying to break the flow of the ordinary. But see the beauty in the ordinary. Look what he says in verse 8. Here's his conclusion. All things are full of weariness. And a man cannot utter it. The eye, this is all things under the sun in this present evil age. Please make sure that is clear. A man cannot utter it. We can't speak enough to be satisfied. The eye is not satisfied. We say we can't see enough to be satisfied. Think about the sin in your life. You can't see it. It's not going to satisfy. You can't see enough. You can't hear enough, nor the ear is filled with hearing. Nothing under the sun will ultimately satisfy us. This is conclusion. Verse 9. What has been will be. What has been done will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. We say, yeah, there's plenty of things new under the sun. I guarantee you 20 years ago they didn't have these little things, right? These smart. There's something new, but it's all the same. We're trying to communicate. Man's been doing that since the garden. We're doing it in different ways. It looks different, but it's all after the same thing. You said, you're sending men to the moon. Yeah, but we have this sense of adventure. And we're trying to satisfy it with that. And so it's all of these different things. There's nothing new under the sun. We see behind everything is this common theme of nothing is new under, under the sun. In this present evil age. Is there anything which have said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. And he goes on to say, vanity of vanities, all vanities. Life is wearisome is his conclusion. Satisfaction is elusive. 
there's nothing new under the sun. I'm not going to end the sermon there. Because <laughs> you might be really sad for the next 10 or 12 weeks. So let's work the book backwards just for a few minutes. Let's go to the end so that we can understand. But what is the solution to all of this? How can we refocus our lives so that we know that even in the ordinary, even in the repetition, even in the fleeting nature of life that goes so quick and just doesn't seem to stop no matter how hard we pull on the reins, how can we refocus our lives? Because here's our temptation. Our temptation is to treat God like a cosmic vending machine dispensing what we request whenever we request it. And when that doesn't happen, we can be very frustrated. We imagine what our life should look like. Solomon had everything. His life probably looked exactly like he thought it should look, what he thought it should look. Didn't satisfy. Job, not anything like he thought, following the Lord, and that's what your life looks like, and that's the reality, isn't it? Even people that are walking wisdom go through difficulties. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, in this present evil age. And we have all these sense of expectations of what our lives look like and what they should look like, what they should feel like, what house we should live in, what our kids should act like, what all that we think, everything should look in a certain way. It can be very disorienting when it doesn't. But God gives us wisdom. How do we live in this present evil age so, do you not, so that you don't live hopelessly or even live, leave here hopeless this morning? Let's peek at the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. I remember I did this in eighth grade. We were reading Agatha's Christie, uh, Agatha Christie, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, the one where they're trying to figure out who the killer is. This is not in the notes. I should have... Uh, this was terrible. I'm sorry about this. I, I apologize. Uh, and then there were none. Thank you for participating this morning. Um, and then there were none. We're trying to decide in the class who done it. I peeked at the end and realized I think it was the judge that did it. And so we're going to peek at the end so we can kind of see the details as we go on. The end of the matter. <laughs> Verse 13. All has been heard. All of his questions, all of his frustrations, all these seen in nature, all of this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring the reason for God, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now we'll talk about that more in the Sundays to come. But I want you to hear what this preacher is saying. Life under the sun is toilsome, it's wearisome, it's fleeting, it's quick, it's repetitive. Life seems to be on repeat, but the end of the matter is this. In these moments that God has called you to live in, no matter what your life looks like, whether it's a disarray of what you anticipated it looked like, whether it's not going the way you thought it should go, here's what the, the writer is saying. If you want to be satisfied in this life, if you want to find joy, peace in this life, if you want to dwell securely, be at ease and not dread disaster, love God and love people. Love God and keep his commandments. Follow the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is returning to judge everything under the sun. And everything will be brought to life. And on that day, live in such a way this day, here's what he's doing. That's how it all ends. 
Just as we're working this book backwards in these last few moments, he's asking you to work your life backwards. To realize that one day you will die. None of us get out of here alive. Unless the Lord comes back. <laughs> Fact check. Everybody has, has that, that's, that's the fact, right? And so when we realize that, and I will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord and give an account for my days, if you are in Christ, you will plead the blood of Christ and you will stand before the Lord. So I will plead Christ. I will live for Christ in this life. And I will serve him all of my days. Because I will give an account for how I lived for Christ. And so even in the ordinary life on repeat, fast running, pulling the reins, can't stop, I'm going to serve God, love God, and keep his commandments, trusting that my Redeemer will stand one day on this earth and set everything right, set all the injustices right, make everything right, and he will restore shalom once and for all. There will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more frustration no more ways of trying to cope with life because we will have life fully and abundantly forever and we will be eternally satisfied. I'm living for that day. This day I'm living for that day with that day in mind. The preacher wants us to know how to die well so that we can live well. He wants us to know that our hope is in our Redeemer who will one day stand on this earth. He wants us to know that if we are to be focused, if we are to be living on purpose, then we need to be living for that day. So why bother? I'll end with this. We bother to live faithfully today because we have a Savior who looked at our futility and our frustration He saw us in our life under the sun, living in this present evil age. He saw the frustration and the suffering that we have in this fallen world, and he chose to suffer in it with us and for us so that he could actually do something about it. Creation was groaning, and we were groaning, and God takes on flesh in Jesus Christ and breaks the curse by dealing with our sin problem so that we could get out of here alive. For behold, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. You no longer are just bound to the frustration life under the sun. You now stand, as one third century theologian said, you now stand in the sun, in the sun of righteousness, so that you can live in a way that brings honor and glory as you seek to live for his glory under the sun until he returns and makes everything right. All of this is meant to drive us to Christ. Ecclesiastes teaches us. That life under the sun is very complicated. Ecclesiastes teaches us that we are pilgrims. Ecclesiastes reorients us and refocuses us so that we can live for God in this present evil age. And so may the Lord be gracious to us. May he give us wisdom that we may dwell securely, be at ease, and not dread disaster. That when we deal with life on repeat, we deal with life moving, the shortness of life, the frustrations of life. May God give us grace to say, I'm living for that day. And when I wake up tomorrow morning living under the sun, I'm going to live for Christ. Because I know that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so I will live. I will love God and keep his commandments. 
And in that, I will be satisfied.